Welcome to the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee of Denver City Council. The Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee begins now. Good morning, everyone, uh, and welcome uh, to the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee um, here today, Wednesday, February 28th. Um, it's lovely to see everyone this morning. My name is Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez. I am one of the council members at large and chair of this committee. Um, we will start with uh, introductions of council members uh, here today, and um, today I'll start on my left. Good morning, Madam Chair, Stacy Gilmore, District 11. Good morning, I'm Paul Cashman, who represents South Denver District 6. Uh, good morning, Kevin Flynn, Southwest Denver District 2, and remember tomorrow is Sadie Hawkins Day. Okay. <laughs> Jamie Torres, District 3, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Amanda Sawyer, no reminders. <laughs> Uh, good morning, Daryl Watson, Fine District 9. <laughs> Hi, folks. I'm Sarah Parody. I represent the city at large. And for those who don't know, City Hawkins Day, at least as celebrated in Rock Springs, Wyoming, is a very gendered uh, teenage dance where, uh, again, very gendered. The girls are supposed to invite the boys, and then you wear matching T-shirts. And I just had this horrendous flashback of, like, tie-dye, <laughs> oversized, denim blue T-shirts and me and my junior high boyfriend. So thank you for that, Councilman Flynn. <laughs> Never a dull moment here in our safety committee. So thank you for bringing, uh, bringing that. Uh, okay, so today on our agenda, we do have a, um, a presentation uh, from host on 240231. Uh, and then we also have a briefing on uh, the migrant response update um, from HRCP and human services. And then we also have 10 items on consent. And I just wanna make sure I didn't miss anybody virtually. I'm so sorry, Councilwoman, uh, do you wanna introduce yourself? Thank you, Madam Chair. Councilman Amanda Sandoval, Northwest Denver District 1. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, okay, so we'll go ahead and get started on our action item today um, with host uh, Justin, I believe you're presenting. Thank you so much. So uh, good morning, council members. My name is Justin Hill, housing development officer with uh, the Department of Housing Stability. And today we bring you a uh, preservation project, uh, affordable housing preservation project, Columbine Towers. So we at HOST are seeking approval of a loan agreement between the city and county of Denver and the borrower, Columbine Towers owner LLC, in the amount of $10 million for acquisition of the land and building containing 170 affordable dwelling units. So project summary, Columbine Towers is a 14 story elevator served building at 1750 South Federal Boulevard in Council District 7. The project contains 170 total units. 43 of those are at 30% of the area median income, which will have 23 studios and 21 beds. 106 of the units are at 50% of the AMI with 23 studios, 82 one beds, and the sole two bedroom unit on the project. 
and 21 units are at 80% AMI, two studios and 19 one bedrooms. Now please note that the 80% units were previously market rate, which are being converted to affordable units by a borrower. Affordable uh, affordability restrictions will be secured by a rental and occupancy covenant uh, recorded against the property running with the land for a minimum of 60 years. And the project currently serves seniors 55 years and older and some with disabilities. I mentioned the 14, the 14 story building uh, was originally built in 1964 and it was slightly renovated in the year 2000. Uh, it's constructed of a steel frame and brick veneer. Units have tiled vinyl carpeted flooring uh, and the building has been well maintained and units updated or renovated upon resident turnover. Uh, the building shows no signs of deferred maintenance. However, the borrower shall be renovating the entire building, uh, including uh, repairs, including but not limited to asphalt, sidewalk replacement, uh, building entrance enhancements, roofing, life safety, safety alarm systems, uh, they'll replace outdated fixtures and finishes in the units, as well as upgrade appliances. And a big one is they'll enhance energy efficiency to align with the energized Denver standards. The financing for this project, I mentioned it's $10 million. It's a combination performance and cash flow repayable loan. The performance portion of the loan is $3.75 million, which is the max allowable under the host term sheet. The repayable portion is $6.25 million at 1% interest. This will be repayable from 25% of surplus cash flow post hard debt service at uh, beginning uh, year one. Now, the performance shows about $6.8 million being repaid to the city over the 30 year period with a $750,000 balloon payment due upon maturity. Other lenders in our capital stack include Bellwether Enterprise servicing a Freddie Mac loan product for approximately $28 million. Impact Development Fund is coming in with two separate loans for over $5.6 million. And the Colorado Division of Housing is also contributing $5 million. Additionally, there is a developer fee of $5.3 million, but the, the borrower is deferring 95% of that, which will be payable from surplus cash flow. I mentioned the rental and occupancy covenant for 60 years running with the land. The property is also subject to a project-based housing assistance payment or HAP contract. Uh, this contract is between the borrower and the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And this uh, will provide federal subsidy for 149 of the units at the project. Now, the full rehab is expected to be completed by the end of 2025. An ongoing construction will not displace any of the current residents. Now, the project is going to be managed by an experienced affordable housing manager, Ross Involve. And obviously, it is host's recommendation to please consider approval of the $10 million combination performance and cash flow loan for acquisition of the Columbine Towers project. Thank you. Are there any questions? Fantastic. Thank you for a um, very concise presentation. Um, we'll start with Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam Chair. Um, thank you for this. This is really exciting to see, especially those market rate units that are being converted to affordable. Um, I did have a question about the breakdown of it because we see that as AMI is going up, um, our residents on fixed incomes, 55 plus community being um, one of the largest uh, is, is 
those fixed incomes are not comparable anymore. So the 30%, 50% AMI, those going all the way up to 80, I'm not sure that that is the right market mix anymore for kind of what the city needs. I'm just curious whether you've looked at that and kind of what that looks like. Well, that is a fair question, but the good news is with the preservation project that is currently occupied, those 21 market rate units moving to 80% AMI, they're already occupied by folks who fit into that income bracket. Okay. Yeah, so they're not That's gonna great. be searching for new residents. Okay, really appreciate that. Um, and then I know our kind of standard discussion is 60 years um, mm -hmm. deed restricted affordability. Um, has host looked at or considered um, extending that kind of longer? You know, we know that back in the, like these conversations didn't even start happening um, until pretty recently. So it was 25 years for a very long time. Now we've kind of moved it up to 60 years, but we know that that affordability need is going to continue for longer than that. Sure. Um, so I'm just curious, kind of as a policy decision, has host considered um, potentially moving that up to the 99 years that we use when we're talking about um, new build? Mm -hmm. Well, I can't necessarily speak to policy decisions, but uh, individual projects, you know, case by case basis, we have discussed 60 years up to 99 years. Mm -hmm. Some projects that host funds do have a 99 year affordability restriction, maybe a land lease tied to it. This project in, you know, at the moment, 60 years is our bare minimum. Um, any future discussions would have to go through obviously host and up through the, the ranks to approve it, uh, exceeding 60 as a, as a requirement. Okay, appreciate that. Um, thanks, Madam Chair. Thank you, uh, Council President Torres. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you so much, Justin. Um, uh, Ross, are they the property manager or this um, like uh, project manager of the work that's gonna be done at the building? Uh, thank you, Council President. As I understand Ross involved, it will be the property manager. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, wondering if the new, uh, the owner has worked with them before they've got other buildings that Ross has managed? Well, the good news is we have members of the borrower developer team here. Okay. So they can probably give a little more detail to your question. Sure. Somebody would want, wouldn't mind coming up and introduce yourself, please. Hi, uh, my name's Ahmed Abdelhamid. I'm with Ulysses Development Group. So we're the project manager. Ross involved will be the property manager who okay. will manage on site. And we have worked with them in the past. We own three properties here in the Denver Metro that Ross involved manages as well for us. Okay. And they've done a great job. And so can you describe your um, experience in terms of them being, how, how they've been able to handle um, like resident uh, repair or mm -hmm. just property uh, questions that come yeah, up? Yeah, that's a great question. So the three properties that we have with Ross involved are very similar. They're all age restricted. They're all have a HAP contract on them. So they're section eight. And so Ross and, and that's Ross involved also has a significantly large portfolio, obviously on top of that, they're a completely separate company. Um, and they, they're experts in the affordable housing, they're experts in the management of these are experts with working with residents and catering to their needs and then overseeing renovations as well. Was this property managed by them previous to your purchase of it? No, we no. are bringing them on. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And, um, Councilwoman Sawyer answered or asked the other questions that I have. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. And um, before I go to the next person, I just want to welcome Councilwoman uh, Romero Campbell, who's joined us today. Um, next, we have Councilman Flynn. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, sure, from Ulysses. 
Uh, can I ask a question? I'm wondering, is this the first development that Ulysses has been has done in Denver? I see you've worked in Phoenix and other areas on affordable housing and other projects, but is this the first one in Denver? This will be the first one in the city of Denver. With okay. The, with the you have one in Broomfield? Say again? Do you have one in Broomfield also? We have a, a project in Broomfield that's still going through the entitlements. We have a project in Castle Rock that's under construction now that we closed in April of last year. Okay. And then, as I mentioned, we have three Section 8 properties in the metro, um, in Aurora, in Sheridan, which is just south, of course, yes. and then in Greeley. And then we have a few others outside of the state as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Madam Chair. That's all. Thank you, Councilwoman Parity. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you so much, Justin. Um, I wanted to, I guess, broaden the lens a little bit and just ask, um, while we have you here, more about how HOST identifies these preservation opportunities. I'm just curious, like, how they come to our attention. And um, I know also that we have some ARPA dollars that are specifically for uh, acquisition and preservation, um, I think some of which are not yet under contract, but would love to hear just a tiny bit more about how we pick and choose um, units to, to approach in this way. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Council Member Paraday. Um, when it comes to preservation, Host, obviously, we, if we have city income restricted units where the city has executed a, uh, a covenant in previous years, we are able to track those. We also do our best to track income restricted units across the city. The city is not invested. However, if so we can watch or pay attention to covenants that are expiring and reach out to preserve. Um, we have a preservation ordinance. We have a right of first refusal. We have different avenues to kind of follow, uh, follow up with those units. This project in particular regarding preservation, the we identified that it was for sale on the market. We had an outside you know, buyer come to us and Ulysses Development Group applied to host for gap financing on the project. And so that's obviously another big way that we find units that are to be preserved. We can put in dollars, we can put a covenant on it and restrict it for up to 60 years. Um, it, you know, we also look at naturally occurring affordable housing where there isn't a covenant, but that's another avenue that host also looks at for preserving units. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. And that was all I wanted to ask. Thanks, Madam Chair. Thank you. Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much for being here. This is a project that I'm very excited about as it's within District 7 and Ulysses has been really great. Um, one of the things that we've been communicating about is how do we um, get the residents out of their unit and back in? And they've been really amazing having several town halls with the people living in the Columbine Towers, which is in desperate need of repair. And it's really um, shocking to see an assisted living facility that's not ADA accessible. Like that doesn't make sense. So I'm really excited about this project and just wanted to thank you for your outreach for the residents and share that I'm really excited about this project. Thank you. Thank you. We are also excited to work with Ulysses. Great. Um, I don't have any other members in the queue. Want to make sure there's no one that has outstanding questions. Great. Um, okay. Well, then that brings us to, um, I, I will ask for a motion in a second. And looks like I have Council, uh, Council President Torres and Councilwoman Sawyer. Um, Council President moved, Sawyer um, second. And with that said, do I have any opposition to this going through to for full council. Do I have any thumbs up? All right, um, great. That will move on to full council. Thank you so much. All right, great. Next up, we have uh, uh, folks here to present on migrant 
uh, crisis response. We have um, Director Braga and uh, and Director Geiler, right? Are you both? Geiler. Are you both doing it? Okay, Director Geiler. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm excited. I'm like ready. Thank, thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for. Is that? Good to start. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, good morning. It's so good to see all of you. Uh, Anne-Marie Braga with the Denver Human Services, the new executive director. I can't say new much longer. I think this is probably my last month to say that. Um, but uh, we have some exciting updates to share. Um, we brought uh, some answers to questions that we weren't able to answer. I know. Thank you for all the questions last time. And um, thank you to the team and everybody for putting together all the, all the responses. Um, we were able to answer most of them, but there were a few more we'll, we'll get to in this presentation. Um, I also just want to flag that I have to leave at 1130. So when you see me walk out, it's not anything personal, <laughs> as I mentioned to the um, councilwoman. So I just wanted to let folks know, but we have a mighty team here who can answer questions as well. Um, and one of those mighty team members I want to introduce you all to is Sarah Plastino. Uh, she is our new uh, newcomer program director. Uh, and for those of you who've I've talked one-on-one -on -one with about um, this work. I'm very excited to have her on board. I think I might be the most excited because this allows me to really be um, the Denver Human Services Executive Director, which is what um, I was intended to be hired for. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and I, of course, will be uh, still supporting this work as well, um, along with Perla Gaylor um, and the Mayor's Office and all the other folks who've been working on this together. So um, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Sarah. I'm gonna have her uh, step up to the mic and uh, introduce herself. And then I believe Perla is next. Uh, and then Evan will have a few slides as well. And we'll be back up to answer questions if that works for everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Um, so you all have met me already. I was introduced yesterday and several other times. So I'll be brief. Um, I just want to mention that I'm a, an immigration defense attorney by background. I've been working directly with um, impacted individuals, immigrants, and refugees um, for over 15 years. Um, and I am a Spanish speaker. So I am thrilled to be in this role. And I'm really excited to work with all of you. And I am here as a resource as needed. My name is Paul Gaylor. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had the order wrong. <laughs> I need to shave. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is really Evan Dreyer, and I am with the mayor's office. I'm going to give you a quick update snapshot on where we are, um, and then we'll get through the rest of the presentation and get to any additional questions that you all might have. Um, as uh, you all know, our numbers have been declining for the last uh, month or two. We're actually closer to about 2,300 newcomers currently uh, in our shelter system right now. And as a reminder, we were um, at 4,500 when we were last here a month ago at the end of uh, January. Earlier in January, we had reached um, an all-time high of close to 5,000 people in the shelter system. We've had about 300 newcomers come over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're averaging um, when we prepared this deck, it was about 22 new arrivals per day. Over the last week, it's um, ticked up a little bit. It's about 30 new folks a day. We did have a bus uh, arrive last night. Um, and so that six buses uh, in February is now seven buses in February, which still compared to what we saw in January, 40 
and 140 uh, in December is far, far fewer. Um, so we are very pleased about that. Uh, we are currently, as of today, operating 10 facilities uh, with plans to close some. Um, the mayor uh, held a news conference this morning, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, overall, we are getting close to 39,000 people, uh, close to 40,000 people that we've served since December of 22, December 2022. Um, and you can see uh, over on the right side of that chart the decline that we are um, continuing to experience right now. Um, we are uh, working on improving how we are uh, working with families and case management. Pearl's going to talk some more about that. I don't know if we want to have you come up and talk about this right now, or we want to kind of skip through this and then we'll come back to you. Oh, I did. Oh, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll go to you. Okay. Um, seven uh, hotels currently today operating at a shelter. Mayor announced this morning that uh, one, one shelter a week for the next four weeks, um, one of those hotel shelters will be closing. Um, some of them uh, will not have the need to relocate anyone because just through natural attrition and uh, exits from those shelters, um, they will be empty of our guests. Um, so that will leave us with uh, three hotels. One congregate shelter will continue to operate. We have another one that's been sort of idling that we haven't had to use that will remain on standby through the end of March, uh, should we need it. Um, and then we are working with the Archdiocese and have been um, on a transitional housing project um, in Councilwoman Sandoval's district that will continue to operate as well. Um, there are currently about 37 families there right now, or 145 people or so. So that seems to be going well uh, too. Um, again, we're gonna go from uh, seven hotels to by the first week of April is when we will achieve that. We'll have to take questions on that. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Good it's not afternoon yet. Close. Uh, good to be in front of you today um, with some better outcomes to share. Um, discharge process. Um, our community partners are providing individually support for each family. So as you know, we've talked about our nonprofit partners. There's a total of 13 navigators that are tracking where families and individuals are going. That does include children. And once they're discharged, they're um, getting this individual help of housing and work authorization, legal clinics, food, all things necessary to integrate them back into the community. Um, part of the mini grant is to share a comprehensive report at the end of the end of March. So maybe early April, we'll have some better numbers to share and where everyone has landed, but we are on track to um, get everyone out before they actually uh, expire from the sh emergency shelter. Um, work authorization clinics, so excited about this work. If you haven't been to the web atrium, you should check it out. It's just buzzing with everyone trying to get in there and get their work authorization permits, which is so important to integrate into our community and provide for their families. Um, currently, we're looking at 600 applications that have been submitted by the 23rd of February. These eligibility screenings um, at the shelters are preparing 
people, applicants to have all the information they need. So once they get to the clinic, they know that they're on the right path and it's a faster process. Um, thanks to our community volunteers that are bilingual, we're able to handle as many people as we have been in these last couple of weeks and we continue to do that through March. Um, and also our city workers, I think that between our city workers and our volunteers, we really have shown a robust legal clinic that um, is able to talk to them in language and get through this work that is um, helping everyone integrate into our community. I wanna give a special shout out to our HRCP uh, partners, uh, Lutheran Family Services, JAMLAC, Catherine Catholic Charities, ALA Colorado, Haven of Hope, Colorado Lawyers Committee, um, great partners in the work that we are doing, not only in just the case management, but also in these legal clinics. Um, based on the current uh, United States Citizenship and Immigrant uh, Services edu Education, sorry, times applicants should be receive permit cards in two to three works from the date of the clinic. I know that the families that I've been working with have received their, not only their work permit, but their social security card within two weeks. And it's been really exciting to be able to um, get out there and look for a job and know that they are gonna be providing for their families. Additional clinics scheduled through the beginning of March, anticipating that we'll uh, be assisting 700 or more people. I bumped into someone today and said it might be even a thousand. So this is, these are really good numbers to share with you all. I think this is um, a process that two months ago, um, we were really wondering how we were gonna get all this done and people came together and our nonprofit sector, our volunteers, our city workers. Um, and I think this has really been a positive for overall for a welcoming city that Denver is. Case management, Ooh, heavy lift. Um, so excited to share with you. It kind of makes me get the chills just talking about the services that our families have been serving or receiving. Um, we couldn't have done it without our nonprofit partners that I mentioned earlier, but uh, Denver Dream Center was also part of that. Village Exchange Center, Focus Points, all have been doing a tremendous jobs. At the January 31st, we gave them 30 families each to go out and um, case manage and they have been just phenomenal. Not only are they re uh, receiving onward travel, but they're also receiving um, resources for housing, whether that's temporary or permanent, the education to get their kids into the DPS system or another school, workforce training, uh, legal assistance, food, and other necessary uh, accommodations. Actually, I was speaking with a nonprofit partner yesterday they had seven families that really needed some mental health with some trauma and they were assisting them with that. And so it really warms my heart that our case management process is really working, that people are being provided with the services that they truly need to um, be self-sufficient and be healthy in our integrated and integrate into our community. Um, we will reassess these mini grants on April 1st and hopefully have some more comprehensive um, results to share with you, but we think that this has been a real game changer in how we're um, working with our newcomer community. Thank you. All right, go to the next slide here. So this is a quick snapshot of um, the budget to date. Uh, we're still figuring out some of the numbers, especially with our the announcement that was made earlier this morning about um, closing some of the shelter, consolidating, right? So not displacing folks, but consolidating the, the shelters. 
Um, one of the things in that my, you know, short time here doing this, we just keep learning, right? We learn something, we try to do something better, differently. Um, lots of new ideas come to the table when you have more folks on board. Um, all of you, as I mentioned during the last time I was here, um, just how much we appreciate the questions you all have. So the numbers we're giving is the best we have right now, but with some of the policy shifts and some of the ideas, um, that Sarah will bring and other folks are bringing, um, we're hoping to have additional savings. So we're really working on it, but I just wanna share some highlights. Um, so one thing that um, I, I was asked to share for to make sure is that the $20 million P PO increase to Quebec hospitality through June 30th is coming soon. Um, we, one of the, the questions I know that we have been getting is, you know, how much does it cost per person per day? Uh, we did have a number that was like $90 per day per person, uh, but that was without case management. And as you can see how successful our case management services have been, that would make it a little bit higher, but we're, we're just trying to figure out how to uh, be as efficient as we can, but get the right services to people. So I wanted to make sure you know that. Let me just look at my notes. Um, yeah, so as I talked about, you know, consolidating these sites is going to really allow us to better manage some of our costs. Like things that, um, you know, I didn't think about when I first started this, like hotel security, right? Um, and some of those things that really end up costing quite a bit. So uh, we will be able to share more specific, num specific numbers really soon. Um, we met last Friday, uh, the, all the agency head leads uh, with some other folks to really look at this program long-term. I know I've, you've all heard me talk about this a lot where we've been in the emergency mode, handling all the things. And uh, I think everyone has done such a phenomenal job. Again, I know uh, Perla mentioned it, but our community partners, uh, DPS, Denver Health, like all of the people we've been working with uh, to really handle this crisis. But now that we can take a breath, knock on some wood here because the buses have slowed down a bit, we're able to really think about what a program looks like. What should we be spending our money on? What is the best use of dollars and those kinds of things? So the 58 million that you see there represents the actual amount paid out by the city as of February 25th. So that's what that number is, um, but it does not include some of our pending expenditures that we haven't gotten in yet. So there's some, like I mentioned, hotel security is a good example of that, or even some of the hotel room invoices. Um, so uh, let's see. So that is that for that slide right now. And then of course on there, this is the same as last time, the way it was broken out by, you see facilities and personnel are our bulk of um, the costs. I did want to mention some of our coordination with our uh, regional, state, and federal partners. We get asked about this a lot. I just, and I want to reiterate with um, with the state, we have weekly coordination meetings. So we, have, as you imagine, with a. Um, an effort this big, we have different levels of folks. So we have folks who are more on the ground operationally and they're meeting on a weekly basis. We also have uh, conversations with the governor's office. Uh, they've been great to meet with us twice a month to really talk about all of the various um, policy kind of decisions and uh, making sure we have uh, the support that we need. They uh, have of course provided us with state funding uh, for our community partners to do case management and then have also supported our shelter staff. Uh, and also, I just read, actually, I didn't know this till yesterday, I read that the governor was in Washington, D.C., um, advocating on, on behalf as well as the mayor has in the past. So we were really happy to see that. Federally, you know, there's no, I know you all know this as well as I do, but there's been no executive order yet um, or any legislation. Uh, the White House has asked FEMA to coordinate agencies uh, to really support the interior cities in addition to the border cities, which we were happy to hear. So um, that includes us. Uh, we still haven't received, uh, there's some 
reimbursement that we um, are seeking uh, that we still haven't received, but that's about 10 million. We're still working on that. And then there's, of course, the ongoing federal advocacy uh, on our part. In fact, I, and I know some of you um, have been great too when your constituents will email and ask, you know, and uh, are mostly respectful, but uh, when they get really upset and share their concerns, and some of them I we really understand, is uh, that you all have said, yeah, you know, send uh, emails and uh, advocacy letters to, to the federal uh, government as well. So we've appreciated that. And regionally, you know, we do we do have conversations um, and doing info information sharing with our faith partners, uh, nonprofits, uh, DPS. Uh, one of the questions I uh, foresee someone asking, so I'll just share it, is with the uh, the movement of the different folks from the consolidation. We're working very closely with DPS to know which students are moving, what we can be what can be done. DPS has been an amazing partner and has supported us in. At, at times with uh, busing kids from, you know, a group of children from one uh, area to another when they had already start, you know, they'd been at one hotel uh, earlier uh, and enrolled in school there. So we've definitely been working hand in hand with them. So we really appreciate all those uh, partnerships um, and just the different other um, government agencies and organizations across Colorado. I met yesterday with all the county human services, um, not all of them, but many of the county human services directors um, just doing my human services thing. And this comes up and we uh, definitely are, you know, just trying to help support. So when uh, the newcomers, they, they do end up landing in other places outside of Denver. Um, and we want to make sure that we're being supportive of our partners to help them know how we handled it and what, we, what we're doing. Um, I do want to reiterate something that the mayor said uh, uh, this morning on camera, which is we, we have not been sending buses to anywhere in this in the state. Um, I know that was reported, but there have not been any buses that we are busing people anywhere. We are uh, we would not be in the situation we were in if we were willing to do that. <laughs> so we have definitely been supporting uh, folks. And then when uh, folks have asked to go for family or friends or those kinds of things, we of course have helped them move onward to some of those uh, towns. And we just want to be good partners to all those folks. So. Let me see. So this was the same uh, slide as last time. Just want to make sure, just keep looking at the website. We have really improved the website to have information that is meaningful and relevant. Uh, we get emails uh, and text from various folks in the districts who are, I call them the neighborhood leaders, uh, who are just amazing constituents who are just really trying to help and uh, and not are trying, they are helping in massive ways. Uh, and I'm really grateful to them. And they will call and say, hey, can you add this to the website? Or I don't understand this piece. So we keep uh, making improvements on that. So I just want to make sure that y'all are asking people to go there. And I will uh, pause for questions. I do want to say I there was a question about rental assistance checks bouncing that came through an email from someone uh, on I can't remember who on council but we uh, we looked into this and asked the folks who are cutting the checks and sending them to the uh, different properties and we have not heard that happening so I'm sure that it has or it hasn't wouldn't have been brought up but so we need a little bit more information about that to make sure we handle that uh, part of the conversation we also had a question about um, ids lost or stolen so we have been 
one of the things um, that does happen sometimes, not con um, consistently, but this is something we could improve too, is recommending to folks when they come to our reception center to just take a photo of their IDs, the front and the back, so they have something in case um, their ideas, IDs do get lost or stolen. But we only, us as DHS, have only had one example where that's happened. Again, because it's out there as a question, I'm sure it's happened more than that, but the only one that we have heard of is just one um, instance and we had a, a legal expert trying to help and figure out how to how to support that person. So, um, and then there was another great question about the eviction pipeline prevention. So, uh, you know, that's great. We're getting folks into housing. And then, uh, you know, the, what about the third month or the fourth month or the second month? Like, how are we handling that? And we were really grateful for that question. We're working with our community partners a lot on this. And this is one of the things where when you're moving from the emergency phase, when you're, you know, the problems are, how do we make sure we have hotels for everyone and um, can can service, provide food and meals to them and those kinds of things. Um, now we're in the phase of how do we make sure that they can sustain themselves here? So it's it's progress in a way that this is what we're talking about. Um, and it's something we're still learning and figuring out how to actually handle. Um, we're thinking about the newcomers fund and maybe we can have some funding there. Through. So we're just, we're trying to figure it out. We don't have a good answer for that yet of here's how it's um, happening, uh, but it's definitely something we're looking into and Sarah will be helping us figure out as well um, with our, you know, this longer term program. So that was it for, for our presentation. We're happy to take any questions from anybody. Great. Um, thank you so much for, for doing all of those updates and, and, you know, answering the many, many questions that have come through. Um, I'm going to start us off here with Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, thank you so much, um, Anne-Ray, Evan, Perla. Um, this is a wealth of information and it's really appreciated. Um, I'm going to just get my questions out there and then whichever ones you're able to answer on the spot, that's great. And if not, we can always follow up. Um, and they're basically around the clinics and the mini grants. Um, so I'm hearing that we've, we're going to be getting like 1,300 to 1,500 people through these clinics that we have found are eligible to apply for work authorization. Um, that's incredible. And I'm just curious if that's um, I'm mo almost entirely people who are eligible for TPS because they came before July, if it's people who applied for asylum six months ago, or they have some other basis for work authorization. Because um, I'm curious if that's essentially, if we feel like that's mostly the entire pool of who is eligible at this point in time. Um, I'm curious if we're going to be able to set up clinics to at least to start people's asylum applications, even knowing that, that that's a lot more complicated. And I know that's Sarah's area of ex expertise. Um, so, you know, that next chunk to get people applying for asylum. So in six months, they can get their work authorization. Um, curious how the clinics have been paid for, if that's pretty much pro bono with us providing the space or if there's some cost element there. Um, and then whether we're going to keep those going after March, if, there, if there's a population of people, we can help by doing that. And then with respect to the mini grants, I'm just curious um, what the amounts of those have been. Um, and I think I have one more thing and then I'll, and, and then that's it. Um, after the, um, after people's authorization documents arrive, I'm curious if, if what we've pretty much seen is that people find work pretty easily or if they are needing any support in that once they get authorized. Um, and last thing I think I've mentioned to a few people is that I think it could be really helpful, even if it was done pretty informally, if as we do these clinics, we got a little sense from people and tracked somewhere what their areas of work experience are, because there's there's so many, I mean, I know I've talked to a lot of healthcare workers, for example, and um, there are people that have work experience that we really need in the city. And it might be nice to just have a little sense that, oh, we have, you know, 50 uh, nurses that are about to get work authorization documents, that kind of thing. That is it. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Madam Chair. 
We love that there's three of us up here excited yeah. to answer your questions. <laughs> I'll just hand, I'll handle the first part of your question on the legal status, <clears throat> and then I'll pass it off to Carla. Um, so the folks that we have been filing work permit applications for, well, assisting in filing, um, are folks who entered through the CPP1 app who entered with inspection and then were granted parole. And that is their eligibility category for employment authorization, it's parolees. Um, so those folks are immediately eligible for work permits upon entry as a parolee. Um, and the work permit is for the duration of their parole status. Um, so we've been screening and identifying those folks because they are immediately eligible. And the turnaround um, has traditionally been quite long on those work permit applications. But since we're partnering with USCIS, we're getting a very short turnaround, which is fantastic. One of the biggest successes of our program so far. Um, my understanding is that people with TPS status or who are eligible for TPS um, have been taken care of. Um, the cutoff is sometime in, I think it was in July for the reauthorization. So the folks that we've been seeing through the winter are not eligible for TPS. Um, the third possibility of work permit eligibility is for folks who entered without inspection. So they did not come through the CBP-1 appointment. Um, and those folks do not have a basis for eligibility other than a pending asylum application. And, you know, as we all know, almost everybody in that group does plan on seeking asylum given the circumstances they were fleeing in Venezuela and other locations. Um, and so we are trying to figure out how best to serve those folks, acknowledging that um, an asylum application is way more involved than a work permit application and must precede the work permit application. Um, and then you have to wait five to six months for, well, you have to wait six months for eligibility, five months to apply. Um, so that is something that we are coordinating on with our nonprofit partners. And as um, the attorneys that are at those clinics are um, both pro bono and paid, you're paying supervisors only, and then pro bonos for, for um, preparers. Um, yes, for real, the mini grant. Sorry, real, real quick. Um, I just want to make sure that when, because we have folks that might be, you know, watching this or watching it later, can we um, maybe not use acronyms and try to, I know that can be, it can be a lot, but it, I think it's helpful for like the public to know what we're talking about. Because I know when we get going in acronyms, it's like all kinds of different things, but thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think that one of the acronyms I used was USCIS, which is United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is the benefits arm of Federal Department of Homeland Security. Um, and they issue visas and handle affirmative asylum applications and work permits. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, as far as our nonprofit partners that have specifically been working on case management through the city, we are doing the $10,000 mini grants. <clears throat> distribute them um, January 31st, and they have till the end of March for those grants. And then we will re reassess and see if we can do additional mini grants between um, April 1st and June. The, the housing funds that they are receiving are not through the city of Denver. So um, those are like the first month's deposit and first month's, I'm sorry, deposit and first month's rent are coming from additional funding uh, through uh, the state. Any more questions? Did I answer that completely? Sorry. 
Um, can you just say that again? How the I was asking about the amount of the mini grants that all the different navigation partners are receiving, and you may have just said it. Um, the, the navigation partners that we have, like um, Focus Points, Haven of Hope, they're receiving ten thousand dollars. Got it. Okay. Mini Thank grant. you so much. Mm -hmm. Any other questions, Councilwoman? No, thank you. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Great. Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you for the presentation um, and um, coming back to present on this. I'm having some um, issues reconciling your numbers from the presentation on January 31st. Um, on slide 10, on that slide deck, um, you all presented that Denver spent about $46 million in 2023. And then on the slide deck that you're showing today, um, uh, less than a month difference time, you're showing um, total costs since December 2022, which would be the month of December, essentially. Um, it's 58 million. And so there's a difference of $12 million there. Could you explain that? Yeah, I believe, that? and Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, because my guys in the audience, my fiscal uh, director there, uh, is that, that this 58 million goes through February 25th. So January and February are included and added to that amount. So that's that difference you just said is the amount that we spent so far this year from so, December 22nd through February. When we when we spoke last month, we only did it through 2023. So okay. this includes 2024 in addition to that number. Am I getting that right? I'm close. Okay, would you like to come up, Justin? Yeah, Sorry. it'd be great if you could send this is, you back know, a correspondence yeah. to um, Anne and um, our committee chair, just so that we have that um, in an email correspondence, but go ahead, Justin. I, I think I can speak to it. So the $46 million number that we shared back on January 31st was the estimated expenditures for all of only 2023. The 58 million approximately that we shared today is Jan or excuse, excuse me, December of 2022, which was about $3.6 million. It was the $43 million that has actually paid out in or for 2023. And then it's about $11 million in 2024. And so uh, the number last time we were here was only looking at estimated 2023 expenditures. The 58 million is looking at all expenditures going back to December 20. So an additional three months, essentially. Uh, so, so the additional uh, what you're three saying. months this year, and then on uh, the opposite end in December of 2022. Okay, all right. Um, I appreciate that explanation. Um, but if you could also send that in writing just Absolutely. so that we have that for our records. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be you, Justin, to answer this next question, but um, in that presentation from the 31st, because I'm trying to make sure how we're tracking because we haven't received a spreadsheet. I don't have any way beyond these PowerPoint presentations, documentation-wise, how you're calculating the numbers. And so on slide 10 of the presentation from the 31st, um, you all are estimating the mayor's you know, public budget shortfall of $180 million. I know that's gonna ratchet down because we're closing down shelters, but I'm not understanding your math. And I know yesterday, Councilmember Parity had also posed the question of how are we getting to the projected 180 million? Because we have city agencies trying to ratchet down 10, 15, 20% to meet that goal. And in the calculations on slide 10, 
you all have the potential 2024 expenditures estimated at $90 per guest per day times 5,500 guests. So you're estimating the most worst case scenario possible around sheltering. And then you're timesing that by 366 days. So that's quick, easy, simple math to get to the 180 million. But what I'm asking is that we tease it out a little bit more so that when this council is asked to put whatever hundreds of millions that you're gonna to come to us in April and ask for us to allocate into a special revenue fund that is basically a separate coffer for border crisis, but it could be then used for a different purpose if that money is set aside and the mayor comes back to us and asks council to do that. And so we haven't had a public process because the taxpayers are underwriting this entire exercise that we're doing right now. And so I would love if to answer council member Parity's question, but now my question, I want you to redo the math based upon the numbers of an individual staying with family with children for 14 days and estimate that. I know you said it's $90 per day, but if you look at your best case scenario around, it's an estimate of $26 million to serve 500 people. That's what the city could basically afford. When you do that math, it's not $90 a day anymore, it creeps up. And I know that you put a disclaimer on the slide saying that you know um, it might, it's the costs in, 2004 are likely to increase, but they're significant increases. And so I just wanna have a good estimate of what our monthly costs are to house 500 immigrants to our city because that's what we can afford to do and keep our services. And so I know that was a lot. You can go back and look at it. I know time is limited, but I need more specificity around how we're arriving at these numbers to be able to vote on this come April. May I respond? Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Your questions are very valid and right, and thank you for asking them. Um, there's a few things since I've been in this role that I've learned, and part of it is that 90 was just for uh, sheltering and, and meals. Um, so it doesn't include all the case management. So, um, and as I mentioned earlier as well, we're trying to figure out what is the right amount of case management service? How, how um, much time is, is truly necessary for case managers to be able to work and support folks to get them to that next place? So um, I think you might, I feel like you used, the, you didn't say experiment, but what, something you said, maybe you did use the word experiment. This exercise. Something, exercise, every, every thank you. city employee is going yeah, through and so in my a head, massive like I, exercise. I under, yeah, and so it, it is like, this is something new. We've been, you know, again, focusing on the emergency. We're now trying to create a program and figure out what those costs are. So um, in April, we will be able to bring you better numbers. As I mentioned, we're talking about different policies and trying to figure out 
what um, what we can and should be spending to balance with the needs of um, of all our of our residents in Denver with other programs. So we are looking at that, and we will bring that to you. And you do deserve that information before you're able to vote. So, <laughs> well, and, um, you and know, please don't just bring it to. Please just don't bring it to committee. We I need to be able to. All of us need to be able to walk our residents absolutely through how Everybody. we're doing our math. So I would respectfully ask that there's a spreadsheet sure. that you share with council Clarity. so that we can yep. understand what we're basing our decisions upon. And then um, one last question, um, or it's fine. I'll, we'll be back okay. again. Um, I'll let it go this time. Um, but um, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. thank you. And I think, you know, one of the things that can be probably helpful, especially as we are approaching April, and, and I think this goes for probably all the departments, and I think Department of Finance will be um, providing briefings uh, to members um, prior to those kinds of decisions coming to us. Uh, and, and I know that that's something that um, we want to keep in mind. And, and please, I, I encourage council members to take advantage of those. Um, because if there are additional questions, we can try to get hopefully those can be answered, um, but of course still be brought to the full body so that we're all on the same page. So thank you so much. Um, yeah. Next, I'll move on to Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, first, uh, thank you to uh, uh, Perla and to uh, Sarah for the clear explanation about applying for work per uh, permits and the process that folks have to go through. And thank you, Councilwoman Parity for raising that, that was gonna be my question uh, here, even though you would explain it to me in a detailed email, I wanted the public to hear that because every Monday night at public comment, we have migrants who come in here and ask us to help them get work permits. And this is the, this is the way to really help them to get there. And I appreciate all the effort that you're doing. So that was my first question uh, that had already been answered. The other question I had is what is in the, uh, on slide nine, uh, what is the, what are the types of costs that go into the other category? And I know it's the smallest sliver of the pie, 1.4 million, you know, but we have facilities, personnel, food, transportation, security, all broken out. So what kinds of things go into that 1.4 million of other? Great, great question, Councilman. So that includes everything else such as porta potties. That includes um, defibrillators for the Mullen pound that we're, uh, recently purchasing. It includes baby formula. It includes uh, paper towels, ramen noodles, anything that doesn't nicely fit into one of the other categories. Um, and I think it's a pretty slim slice, but if you'd like any other detail, we're glad to provide it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's all, Madam Chair. Great. Thank you. Uh, next, uh, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Committee Chair. I have um, a local D9 question first, and I think that's gonna to go to Evan. And then I have um, maybe another one in a more global discussion. Um, um, Evan, thank you so much. Uh, we are receiving um, questions from community specific to the Western Motor Inn, and I'm curious as to any updates that you can provide as the impacts to um, immigrant families that are, um, that are, were residing there. Yep, thank you, Councilman. Um, the Western Motor Inn, everybody remember, this is not a city-owned facility. It's not a city-run shelter. It's um, a, a private facility. Uh, the owner has, has been uh, providing some shelter, some low-cost accommodations. Um, folks, primarily uh, newcomers, 
the current owner is in the process of selling to a new group the city together with three nonprofits have been working to find over the last couple of months working to find other accommodations alternative accommodations for the folks who have been staying there I think at one point there probably were between two and three hundred people who had been staying there latest information we have is that it's down to about 50 people as the owner seller gets close to a final transaction with the buyer thank you so much Evan and and I fully understand this was not a sanctioned space that the city owned or was operating I do know that the city provided care and support there were wraparound services provided to transition folks to other places I think it's important that folks are aware that they're no longer 300 individuals or families there there is a private sale that is pending and there are a small group of folks who may still be there but it is the intention of the administration to work in whatever capacity we can to make sure that those families those individuals find shelter yeah that is correct I think as is our goal with much of this work we don't want anybody to end up on the street without a warm safe place to be while it is still winter and so that's been a primary focus of ours that's why we've been working closely city staff with like I said three different community-based organizations to provide assistance and one other kind of local question we've had over consecutive Monday nights individuals have identified themselves as newcomers migrants from Venezuela that have been on median specifically I know in my travels on Colorado Boulevard they've spoken about citations they've been receiving obviously without work authorization these folks can't feed themselves their families and they want to be self-sufficient can you share anything on you or anyone on the team you're standing there so I'm not gonna ask you directly but can you share any provide any updates on any end of the individuals or folks who are individuals are receiving citations for washing windows what steps if any has the administration taken to review whether that practice is something that we are encouraging and are there any steps we're taking to match those folks to some of the good work that we're doing in the web building with work authorization and identifying if they can be attached to to work thank you good question and we might need a little bit of follow-up help from the police department on that in terms of specific numbers there have been I think some very limited number of instances where there were citations for people who were in intersections maybe very aggressively panhandling I think we've had a couple of similar type of instances in Home Depot parking lots as well our guidance from the mayor's office to the police department has been let's work on education rather than going straight to citation thanks so much Evan and final question on a regional approach and I know that Emory shared a little bit of some of our proactive steps that we're taking I am curious on the data piece of this I saw a story that I thought was a real highlight of Denver from El Paso County they were being interviewed as to the steps that they're taking for newcomers that are coming to El Paso County and they highlighted the good work that we're doing here and finding ways to scale and streamline what they are doing based on the success of Denver my question to you are we tracking migration of newcomers that are showing up in other cities do we have a sense 
of the scope? And if we're not, is there an opportunity to do that? Because obviously we will spend uh, our taxpayer dollars are dedicated to Denver. Um, however, understanding the scope may be helpful as we look at for a long-term approach, regional support and, 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 and regional cooperation. So I'm curious, are we mapping migration, understanding of folks who are coming out of uh, Denver County and other places? Um, do we have a system on that? It, it's a great question. I think that our data on exactly where people are going, where every individual is going once they exit out of shelter um, has some gaps in it. So we don't have 100% clarity line of sight on where everyone is going. And, and that would include where they're going within the state of Colorado. Um, the state's Office of New Americans may have better data tracking on where people are ending up around the state of Colorado. We do know that there are many, many people in many, many communities. Um, and El Paso is one example. Uh, Aurora is another um, throughout the metro area. Uh, thank you, Evan. And, and as the vice chair of the Metro Area County Commissioners, it's of interest to me. So I'll follow back up with your team and most likely some other council members are interested. I just wanna close with thanking um, Anne-Marie. Your team has been fantastic with providing briefings and updates, answering every question I have. I want to welcome Sarah uh, to the team. You are absolutely needed, and I appreciate your expertise and the work that you have done over the years. And Perla, as always, um, we, are, we are so proud and honored to have you in the city and the thoughtful process that you lead. So thank you all. I, I have no other questions, um, Madam if Chair. If I could just add one other point, I want to recognize Adam Paul, um, who is oh. our Director of Regional Affairs, who spends day and night um, engaging with communities around uh, the state trying to provide information um, as well. So if you have any other questions. Yeah, I know Adam Paul um, feels left out, no longer being a mayor. Sometimes he's missed, but sir, you're in my heart. And thank you so much for all that you do, Mayor, mayor Paul. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Madam Chair. Right, thank you. Oh, yes. Can I add one more piece to this too, just so you're aware and everyone here is aware. I mentioned that we got together as agency heads and folks to look at, um, you know, the long-term and, uh, and the infrastructure or the the structure and the way that we're going to get all of these things done. Every every time I turn around, there's like one more thing that I'm learning about we have to think about. And so one of those areas is data. And we hadn't had a person who is a data lead. Um, and we do have someone who is now assigned to a data work group to think about all the things in the data, not just because where are they going is one of the biggest questions we get and we haven't been tracking it well. We, we hear from our friends and neighbors and they'll tell us like Carbondale, obviously that made the papers. We knew there were folks there, but we haven't had a good system. Now we have someone with a smart brain who's gonna help us track those kinds of things and figure out how, what can we track? How, you know, how much does that cost? What, what's um, the benefits and those sorts of things. So I just wanted to let you know that as well. Yeah, we're excited about that. Great, thank you. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks. Um, most of my questions have been answered um, or are set for follow-up. Um, I will just say like quick napkin math, $58 million, 40,000 people, that's $1,450 per person that we're spending. Um, if you look at that over 35 days for families, it's like in the, it's like $40 a person per day, not um, 90. Um, but I am curious about, so so I would love to see that math too, because it just doesn't, it's just very confusing. And I know we're providing a lot of different services. Um, one follow-up question to that though, is about the case management services, because we know the case management is significantly more expensive, but gives us a significantly higher return on our investment, right? But um, with the situation that we're in financially right now, um, 
trying to find that right balance. How do we, how do we do, how do we get there? I guess, like what um, pieces of information are we looking at to get there? What sorts of, um, you know, what sort of limitations are we finding? Um, just to make sure that what we're undertaking, which is much more valuable, is also much more expensive. When we initially brought, um, we brought, I think, 10 to 12 partners together to talk about case management and wanting to try to do it in the shelters. And we thought that this might help us to, as, as families were being um, discharged, how could we help them navigate the systems better? Because, you know, it's, it's very difficult, and especially if you don't feel, uh, speak the language. So when we brought them on board, we talked about, like, one of the first things was housing, but then work authorization was important, how to get food. So all of those things, those partners already do that for our Spanish-speaking community that is already here that needs help. And so relying on them to, to do that with, um, with our Venezuelans or our newcomers was something that um, they were all eager to do. We have submitted spreadsheets on information that we want them to fill out that we're like, what's the age and, you know, um, where are they going and do they already have work? Do they have children? Now, they don't always submit those, that information, but we were always in a, you know, get them out as soon as we can, get them out as soon because we have more coming. So I think what we're trying to accomplish by the end of March is a comprehensive report of how many did we serve? Where did they go? How much, you know, how much did we spend total, um, not from just the city, but when they got additional funds for housing, all of that. So we hope to have that for you at the end of March when this um, initiative is over so we can reevaluate what do we start in April? Do we need seven community partners? Do we need less? Do we need more? Um, do we need to provide more services that we didn't think were already in there? So we're gonna reevaluate that, but this was really a get ahead. We need to get some help right now. So. Okay, I really appreciate that. Um, thank you for that explanation. I'm looking forward to finding out more in April. I will say um, we need to provide quality services, not just services. And, and I think that is the difference and the shift between emergency to this is not going to end anytime soon. And so we need to have a functioning plan for how to do that, right? I think we um, speak with the nonprofit partners, like what challenges are you facing? Uh, how are things going, you know, and they're able to talk with one another because we're all on this call. And I think they're learning some best practices from one from each other. I mean, Haven of Hope wasn't even doing case management prior to this initiative, but really wanted to do that support because they were already doing daycare support, day support, you know, people were coming. For, um, usually it was the unhoused, but they were seeing more and more newcomers come. And so they really wanted to be part of um, helping. And so they hired case managers to actually do this work. So I think um, at the end of March, we will know better with clarity um, what we've been providing, where are the gaps, and what do we need going forward. So more okay. evaluation on that. But thank really, you. Yeah, really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and then just last question, which you sort of touched on a second ago um, when it came to like Haven of Hope providing um, the, the childcare mm -hmm. piece more than the case management piece. Um, what work are we doing to identify um, places within the city that we have opportunities for support, right? Like, so the childcare thing made me think of our Office of Children's Affairs has mm -hmm. an entire program that was set up during COVID, yeah. the FFN program, Family, yes. Friend, yes. and Neighbor, yeah. right, program, which is a program that 
trains people to be the child care for their family, friends, Absolutely. and neighbors so that those neighbors, uh, families, and friends can go out process. and work, right? Yeah. Um, it's something that came up during COVID. It's something that has now been funded because we've seen it to be very successful, particularly in underprivileged communities um, and communities of color. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, that's the one that came to my mind based on what you said, but I know that there are others within our city. What, how are we identifying those opportunities that we can leverage that already exist with programs that are here? I'm so glad you brought that up because we have been working with our Office of Children's Affairs. We are launching that program. Um, I think it was last week or this week um, for uh, specifically for our newcomers to do that FN program. Um, and I'm not sure how many were enrolled already, but I believe that they were gonna have a cohort start in March okay. to, to do this program. And I will try to get some numbers from our partners at the Office of Children's Affairs to let you know, because we do know that that program is successful. Yeah. We do know that that program is needed since most of the families are, you know, 50% of them are with children. So um, I'm glad that you brought that up and highlighted our Office of Children's Affairs, because that is one of the programs that I think is very beneficial to people who you don't have to have papers or, or documents to actually start this program, but you're helping within your community. And so I think that's a great program to, to mention. Awesome. So really I will, appreciate that. Yeah. And I will look for more um, details around other programs. I know that, like, for example, Focus Points was doing an urban farming um, yeah. program that they have right. and I, it's with Kamal and it's with um forget the other name of it but I will bring it next time um where they're asking us to help them identify people who want to get into this work newcomers and um I'm doing a site visit on March 19th with some of our newcomers to see if this is something they want to do and they get paid to actually do it so um so lots of you know kind of innovative ways to integrate our um, newcomers into work Awesome. Really appreciate that. Thank you so you much. Bet. Thanks, mm -hmm. Madam Chair. Thank you. Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Well, thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you again for the presentation today. Um, a lot of the questions that I had have been um, asked, and so this is more of a I guess this would be more of a statement um, around um, education and children and early childhood. One of the um, it will be a question. One of <laughs> one of the uh, the things that we know, um, and not only with our newcomers, but also with those who are unhoused and with the family shelter, is that we have a large number of children who are under the age of five. Um, and who need additional resources. So while we have that connection with Denver Public Schools, I think um, continuing to working and strengthening some of those efficiencies um, of how we are connecting young people or you know students uh, with school and having that continuous enrollment. Um, also thinking about what those needs are for children under the age of five um, with their families because you need in order to work, you know, it's kind of a give and take and a both and. So in order to work, you need to have your children in care and building that workforce pipeline um, through programs like um, PASO, et cetera. Um, those are incredibly strong uh, programs that you have a child development associate at the end of that training program. And so I know that we are working to have one of those established at the family shelter at the Tamarack. So very excited about that. Um, Paso is involved with the program with the Office of Children's Affairs, so yeah. I am aware of that. Yes. Yeah, so and thank you to the Office of Children's Affairs for, um, for supporting that and making that happen. Um, but I do really wonder about, and maybe this is next time for an update, but thinking about 
kind of the the scope of who is being served and also the needs of the um, of children and and young children. Um, so that would be something that I would be interested in following up with in the future and then thinking about how we are, um, again, kids aren't accessories, but they have uh, learning and growth and development needs. Um, and it's such a critical time for their growth and development. These are foundational years and times in their lives. So um, our um, Vive Wellness is actually um, working with the children that are under five. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that she has a bus that picks up the children from the shelters and um, is doing this uh, school program with the with the children so they can't be prepared to go to preschool or kindergarten. So they are getting that education piece and I can get more details around that for our next meeting or I can email it to you, but that is happening. Yeah. So um, I want you to be aware of that. And I don't know if Evan knows the name of it, but it is, um, there's a bus that actually picks up the children. Do you have more information? Yeah, but I do think that there there is, um, that insight was um, addressed mm-hmm. a few months back. And so Vive Wellness is heading that up. And that's something that um, Yoli has been very passionate about since the beginning. And so, the children are getting the access to education from toddler and above um, until they can go to school. And I will get more specifics for you. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. May I add? <clears throat> I just want to add that personally, I have a, a four month, a four-year-old son who's in ECE at Valdez Elementary on the north side. Um, and there are newcomer friends in his class, many, many newcomer students at his school. Um, so and I live in the neighborhood. So this is a personal interest of mine in addition to professional responsibility. Um, And I'm so glad you asked that question and are drawing attention to our um, specific um, attention to the very youngest children. And I'm really looking forward to working with Perla um, on that piece as well. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And I, and again, I think the early childhood community, not only in Denver, but across the state has been working hard on how do you have those early learning experiences, creating early learning environments. Um, we've pulled together a early learning uh, work group for um, the family shelter. And so expanding that out and creating that space for the conversation and the intentionality of, of what those interventions are and how we are supporting not only within um, newcomer community, but also um, outside and beyond into our broader community throughout Denver. So I just look forward to that collaboration. So thank you very much. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilwoman. Great, um, Council President Torres. Thank you so much. Um, uh, are we still in a place where we're um, capturing eligible reimbursable costs? Affirmative, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, is that um, obviously that does not usually um, contain the non congregate shelter, the hotel rooms, right? But there are other costs that we're still capturing for reimbursement. Justin can help us answer. Thank that you, question. Justin. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Council President, yes, we are still capturing the costs that may potentially be eligible for FEMA shelter services program reimbursement. That program puts caps on certain types of expenditures. And so there's a 5% of the total award amount cap on non-congregate sheltering. Um, That same cap does not apply to congregate sheltering. Got it, okay, thank you so much. And and that is correct. And so the city- Will you repeat what what he said? Sorry, Uh, yes, so the city in the previous FEMA award that we received 
requested a waiver for that 5% cap for yeah. non-congregate children and obtained it. And so we're going to be able to submit up to 21% of that roughly $9 million award for non-congregate children. Okay. And what's our cycle for submissions? Is it a calendar year? Uh, so we are in the process right now of working with the Department of Finance and their consultant is tactical in order to submit the backup documentation that we hope will lead to actually getting the check from FEMA for that roughly $9 million of costs in 2023 for which we're seeking reimbursement. Okay. And there is no, um, there hasn't been a need for us to be under um, a local emergency declaration in order to continue to do this? Uh, I, no. I'm not aware of any requirement. Okay. Um, I know that expired last year. Right. Uh, the FEMA award uh, actually goes through 2025. And so okay. we're going to spend that down a lot more quickly than that. Yeah. And hopefully get more from the federal government. But I'm not aware of any emergency declaration at the local level to receive the funding. It's a little bit different from COVID when having the emergency declaration was helpful. Yeah. Then this is, we don't need an emergency declaration for this reimbursement program. And then Evan, um, there had been a time where we had asked for assistance from um, National Guard, for example, from uh, other larger entities. Do we still have that need? Has that request been renewed? Uh, we don't have that need right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's hard to look into the crystal ball to see what exactly is going to happen. We know what has happened here last year, and we know what has happened historically seasonally. Um, but right now, our entire focus, to go back to one of your earlier questions, is to serve fewer people better. Um, and obviously, what's happening at the border affects us here. But right now, we really feel like we are in a position to continue to make progress with the case management um, and other steps we're taking so okay. that we don't have to make an ask like that. Okay. And then the bus companies are generally abiding by the rules that um, you all developed for them in January? Correct. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, I don't have any more questions. Um, just want to thank uh, this team. I think I've seen since we asked for a renewed plan uh, back in, I think, November of last year, um, you have done a lot of work to try to get to that place. And so um, while still responding. And so I really appreciate um, the amount of, um, uh, of work that's gone on to try to develop that alongside response and paring down to something that the city can um, maintain over a longer period of time. So um, thanks, appreciate it. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Council President. Um, so I don't have any, see anybody else in queue. I think um, Councilwoman Parity might have something, but I, I did have a couple of questions um, before we wrap up. Um, going back to the, the funding for a lot of the partners, nonprofits that have been assisting, I just wanna make sure I heard correctly. So it's there's $10,000 mini grants that have been granted to all of them or just certain ones? No, 10,000 to each um, that applied for the case management service. Okay, and do you know how else the they are receiving funding to do the work that they're doing? Do you know where else they're getting sources? I know the newcomer's office had a um, um, grants for the housing portion and for other things, and I know some of them have those fundings. So um, I know that they're, they're supporting some of the smaller nonprofits that don't have that funding. So that has been a really good match. Um, for example, like if um, one of the smaller nonprofits 
needs um, money for the deposit and first month's rents, they're getting it from the bigger nonprofit that does have that funding. Okay. And the, the mini grants, like what, what fund is that coming from? Is that coming from the special, is there funding still in that bucket and that's where it's coming from? Yeah. Yeah, he's, the, the, he's the money guy. It's okay, coming that's from the right. border crisis yeah. response fund. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is coming from that. Okay. Um, and then the, I guess one other thing that I didn't see in this um, month's update was about um, the updates on what the state is doing, um, both uh, related to funding and resources such as staffing. I know that those report that information has been provided to us before. Just want to hear, I guess, an update on that or just even a reiteration of what those things have been. Well, they've been great partners in helping us with the housing portion of it um, with their nonprofits that are getting housing money. Um, How much are they funding? I, I don't know. Okay. And I, I can send you an email with uh, maybe ask D what that looks like. Okay. Are they still providing yeah. staffing as well? Uh, so the state had put out a request for a proposal for $4 million. Oh. And I believe about $2.5 million of that at least has been awarded to date to nonprofits who are also working with the state. Okay. And yes, the state is still Why providing. Why don't you come up? Sorry, so that people can The state is one. still providing staff support. But yes. To answer how, your other question. How many? I think there's about 40. And 40 what, are, what are their jobs? What are they doing? They're in the shelters, shelter staff. Okay. And is it like regular or are they kind of... It just depends on the day. Do uh, we know? I, I think there's shelter leads and shelter staff. Okay. And I know we have someone here from the shelters. I don't know if you have a different answer. <laughs> no? Okay. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, the last thing I'll just say on that is, you know, I, I appreciate that, that there has been some assistance for the state from the state and the fact that, you know, it sounds like there is regular communication, at least that's what we continue to hear. Um, I also heard someone mention that the governor was advocating for assistance while in DC last week, advocating for border security and funding for cities like Denver. It's somewhat hopeful, but I feel a little also late to the game. Um, and also it's pretty interesting that he's including border security in, in those um, advocacy efforts. It's also interesting that but a week prior, um, his office reported that each city should figure out on their own um, what they think is best, how they should be addressing the needs. And, and I just wanna like share this with, with council members and also with you know, our folks that are, are on the ground doing the work um, because there, are, there is work that the governor is doing right now proactively to pass legislation to infringe on our local control. However, when it comes to these types of issues, he's saying that we, it should be left up to the locals to figure it out. I have great concern in, in those two statements um, and you know, we'll continue to advocate for that fact that however we can you know, continue to see how we can come together as a state, whether that's you know, the advocacy, not only advocacy to the federal government or punting it to the federal government, but also um, how do we encourage our state to come together and, and work together, cities, um, municipalities working together to, to address the need. Uh, and so, you know, that's just a comment on my end. Um, and I know that's not to you all that. because you all are doing the work and you're doing, you know, great work that um, has been much needed for 
over a year. And so I really, really appreciate um, the efforts that are being made. So thank you. Appreciate your words. Thank you. Councilwoman Parity, did you have any final questions? No, I'm okay. I can do it as a follow-up. Thank you so much. Great. Um, okay, so we had, and I don't see anybody else in the queue. Thank you again. Thank we you really so appreciate your these time. monthly updates. Uh, we don't have anyone else in the queue right now, and we have 10 items on consent. Those will go forward to the full council, and we are adjourned. Thank you.